that. That was my third joke, and I've only got three. <laughs> right, right. Let's return to uh, something a little bit more serious, but uh, uh, hopefully far more inspiring. This is a, uh, the first of a, a short series where we're looking at the characters around the Christmas story. And we're looking at Mary today. And um, in fact, given the prominence of Mary, particularly in the Catholic Church, but also in the, Christ- in the uh, Protestant tradition as well, it's remarkable how little there is in the Bible um, on which we can uh, base our uh, understanding of Mary. So little that you might think I've got nothing to say, but don't fear, vicars and lay ministers can make much out of little. And we're going to look at, uh, first of all, ten things that we do know about Mary. And we'll have them up on the screen so you know where we are. And you know, when we've got up to point five, we're 50% of the way through the things we know about Mary. And then what we're going to do is to look at what we can learn from Mary that can help us in our own walk with Jesus. The first thing is that she lived in Nazareth, a small settlement in Galilee, a depressed and uh, a rather despised region of Palestine uh, under Roman rule. Now, I won't insult anybody who doesn't come from Camberley by suggesting that there are areas in our country where we might say, God, did something good come out of that place? Well, that's how Galilee was. And within Galilee, they looked down upon the Nazarenes as well. So it was really the lowest of the low. In John chapter 1, when Nathanael heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's some suggestion that he was using a local quotation, a well-known quotation. Nazareth was really the lowest place of the low. And Jesus was born there. And Mary came from there. The second thing we know is that she was a virgin. And it was probable, given what we know about what uh, period in life people got married in those days, she was probably in her early teens. She had just begun her period. That's the time when people were betrothed in marriage. And uh, if you like that uh, um, uh, visualization of the story in Luke, which we saw, is probably a bit deficient in suggesting that she was in, uh, the sort of in her mid-twenties or so. She was probably much younger than that. So think of some 13 or 14-year-old that you know and that's likely to have been the age that Jesus, that uh, Mary was uh, uh, when all these events of the Christmas story happened. The third thing we know is that she was legally pledged to a man named Joseph, a, a distant descendant of King David. But then quite a lot of people were distant descendants of David because by that generation uh, uh, the numbers had increased uh, year on year. And uh, uh, he, he was no longer of royal, um, uh, royal standing. He was a tradesman, a carpenter. The next thing we know was that her engagement period was shaken by her fiancé's doubts about her faithfulness. It's all within the mystery of God as to why God did not speak to Joseph before he discovered that Mary was pregnant. Why would he leave it until afterwards? Because that clearly gave a pretty rocky time to their engagement period. He was even at the point of saying, I will put this woman away respectfully, 
but I can't marry her because of her unfaithfulness. So it was not an exactly uh, a harmonious time that Mary would have spent in the lead-up to the birth of Jesus. The fifth thing that we know is that she was poor. When Joseph and Mary came to the temple 40 days after the birth of Jesus, we learn that they brought uh, as a sacrifice for her purification because uh, having a baby was seen to be an act of, uh, that, that soiled and sinned uh, and made sinful the bearer of the child. They brought two turtle doves. And why did they do that? Because if you look in Leviticus, it says that when this happens, at the time of purification, most people should bring a lamb. But if they are poor, they're allowed to bring something a little less expensive. So we know that she was not only from a poor area, but she was also herself uh, without um, financial means. Sixthly, we know that she went on to have four more sons in Mark chapter 6. It talks about James, Joseph, Judas and Simon and several daughters who weren't important enough to be numbered, let alone named. So Mary had quite a large family uh, to look after and be responsible for. Seventhly, she was widowed in middle age or earlier. Joseph was still around when Jesus was 12. In Luke chapter 2, when he went to the temple, we know that it was Mary and Joseph that took them. But by the time Jesus was 30, so therefore if you reckon if uh, he, had given, uh, he had been born to, say, a 15-year-old, she was around 45 by that time, uh, when Jesus did his first miracle, as is in John chapter 2, uh, at the wedding in Cana in Galilee, it was with his mother that he went. There's no mention of his father. And later on, when Jesus comes back to Nazareth, uh, people say, isn't this Jesus the carpenter? So we know that Jesus actually did some carpentry before he started his ministry. Isn't this uh, Jesus the carpenter, Mary's son and the brother of uh, the, those four that I mentioned, James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? So by that time, she was a widow. Now, the next thing, uh, and this really was, did come to me as a, a bit of an eye-opener, um, uh, an eye that her life was characterized by hardship. This was predicted by the priest Zechariah uh, when she came to the temple um, in order to uh, offer up the, uh, those two turtle doves. And Zechariah uh, foresees that Jesus will have a life of hardship. But he also says and a sword will pierce through your own soul. And if we think about the life of Mary, it was an extraordinarily hard one. Soon after the birth, being uh, a refugee uh, in Egypt, coming back and living in fear of the fact uh, that there were uh, rulers um, in that area, uh, that meant that they could not go back to Jerusalem or to uh, Bethlehem. They went up to Nazareth again in order to uh, uh, avoid the authorities. So it was a hard life. And during his ministry, she agonized over the way that his ministry was taking him. The ninth point, and this is again an eye-opener. In his lifetime, she had a complex relationship with Jesus. Just listen to these uh, words from uh, Luke's Gospel. 
Uh, so, sorry, from Mark, this is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, and verses um, 31 and following. Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. His family would have included Mary, of course, and their conclusion was, her conclusion was, that this child who had been born and was to be the saviour of, uh, of Israel was going out of his mind. So there was that complex relationship that was going on all the time that Jesus uh, was undertaking his ministry. And then listen to this. This, is, this shows the difficulty that Mary faced as she saw Jesus during his lifetime. Jesus' mother, this is again from uh, Mark chapter 3, now verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now those of you who've had children, just imagine what it would be like to be estranged from them to the point where they actually denied that you had a special relationship with them. It's almost like today we would say, Jesus had been taken control of by a cult and he denied his, uh, his blood relatives. And Mary had to endure that throughout her life. So when we hear that it says that uh, a sword will pierce through your own soul, my thinking was, oh, that's at the death of Jesus on the cross. But actually, throughout her life, she had to struggle with this difficulty of knowing there was something special about Jesus at the same time thinking that he was actually losing control of his senses. So there was a complex relationship. And the tenth thing I think we know is that, we, that she doesn't figure in the story of the early church. There is a reference in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 where it says before the events of Pentecost that uh, uh, the disciples were gathered together and Mary is mentioned there. And I think that's significant because in spite of all this uncertainty, this apparent rejection, Mary persevered and maintained, with, uh, uh, her, maintained that relationship, that, that honour with her son. But what's significant is that she didn't take a place of particular veneration in the early church. So she was seen to be somebody who had helped Jesus into the world but she was not the one to be worshipped herself. So these are the facts, but they tell us little of her character and virtues. And I wonder if there's anything that we can take as an inspiration for ourselves as we seek to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. And since we're looking at the, the Christmas story, I've just looked at that to see what can we learn about Mary that we could take for ourselves. And here are four things. Okay, well, everything's numerical here. Ten points, four things, two conclusions. Okay, that's, so we're about two-thirds of the way through now. The first thing was that she was a listener. 
Now, arguably, a visit by an archangel Gabriel will make us all listen, so therefore you can't just say the fact that that happened, she was a listener. But there is a uh, a significant verse in Luke chapter 2, which is after the shepherds had uh, left and gone back to their fields, where it says this, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And there's some evidence that Luke, who tells us more of the uh, Christmas story uh, uh, than <coughs> certainly Mark and John, uh, that he had some uh, uh, source that goes right back to Mary and her reflections. And it's very clear that Mary was somebody who reflected on the events that were going on around her and allowed her to see God in those events, which perhaps other people would not have seen. And I think that that resonates with our vision as a church, that one of the three points that we want to do is to become a praying church. And a praying church is not just one that keeps asking God for lots of things. A praying church is a church which listens to God so that he can tell us the things that are important. So I think we can learn that from Mary. The second thing is that uh, that she was obedient. Now, okay, the angel says this is going to happen. In a sense, she had no choice but to follow. But I think it's very significant. When we look at the story of the the the, um, uh, appearance of the archangel to Mary, Mary asks a question of him. She says, how can this be? when I'm only a virgin. Now, he respects that answer, that question, and he answers her how it's going to happen. Just before that, when Zechariah had said, how can my wife have a baby, I'm very old, he gets told off for it, and he's told he's going to be silent until until John the Baptist is born. Now, why is that? Well, I suspect it's because the angel recognized that Mary's question was not one of dismissal, how can this be? Whereas Zechariah probably was. In Mary's case, it was seeking to understand. And then immediately after that, what was her response? I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. So I think there's a message there for us that if, if we've got a nagging feeling that God might be saying something to us, respond to it, do something with it. If it's not from God, then he'll allow it uh, not to uh, prosper. But not to just say, it must have been something else, I'm going to move on and ignore it. The third thing we can learn from her is that she gave the glory to God. Look at the Magnificat, we know it so well. My soul magnifies not me because God's chosen me, but my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices not in the fact that I've been made very special, but my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. There was no hijacking of the honour of being used by God for a special purpose to draw attention to herself. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Am I the only one who, when God has been particularly good to me, like to relish the fact that this is what happened to me rather than this is what God has done through me? And finally, she persevered. The life that God called her to was no bed of roses. There was poverty, there was dislocation, there was bereavement, there was rejection from those who were very special to her. 
It wasn't just in seeing her son die that she persevered, but she continued faithful to the end, and she was there when the early church was formed. Okay, ten facts, four points of inspiration, two things that occur to me as I just read through this story. The first is that God is truly a God of surprises. Just think about the Christmas story, the plan of salvation, how amazing it is. And if anybody was to draw it up in advance, you can be sure you wouldn't start in the least likely places with the least likely people and yet bring through salvation. Shepherds, old men, astrologers, refugees, a teenage girl, all these form part of God's wonderful plan. And for me, that says... If the world has got any hopelessness about it, if your life has got any hopelessness about it, then just look for God because he's a God of surprises. And he takes us to the point where we have to trust in him if we have any hope at all. And the second conclusion is that Mary's very ordinariness gives us encouragement. The angel said nothing is impossible with God. I can't find much in the Mary before the angel came to say that she was an exceptional person. She may have been. But I think from the Gospels we hear she was ordinary, but she was available. And God doesn't want our ability. He wants our availability. And if we can see that what we have to offer to God is all that he asks of us, then we'll be encouraged and God Uh, can make great things happen. He can do extraordinary things with ordinary people. Tom last week asked us what limitations we might be putting on God about how he might use us, what uh, uh, no-go areas there would be, what areas where we consider there's no potential at all, and to offer those to him. And when we do that, then we find that with God, all things are possible. So there are some things we can learn from Mary. And if it's only the fact that, well, I'm very ordinary, then that's a pretty important message because God wants ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Our reflection is going to be in the form of listening to a song which the uh, music team are going to lead us in. Um, And after that, we're going to uh, sing together and the children will rejoin us.